when he decided to come back like that, it was seamless. And he came back into the mix and, and the relationship and the things that we went through together, you know, seven or eight years ago and, and be in the previous 10 year period of time, uh, never went away. And so, but I think there was a greater appreciation by both of us really on how special that was. And then to see him actually, you know, there's a lot of guys who come back and say, I'm going to do a comeback and see if I can do it and all that sort of stuff. But they never really realize the goal, right? I mean, Phelps is a pretty special example, but um, other people that we've seen from time to time try and come back and never really get there. And for him to come all the way back and actually get there was pretty cool. And so I felt some pretty strong emotion at that point in time. And appreciated everything that he had done and I and he had appreciated everything that I had done in order to get there right so it was good Bonjour, welcome. This is a new episode of All The Talk Today, episode 54 already, 54. Today I have a very special guest, like I used to say. We have on the show uh, uh, one of the best coaches in Canada. I would say, I would say, uh, I don't think there is more coaches who achieve more Olympics than you. You're going to tell me if I'm wrong or not. Uh, we are trying to have the count. We stopped at 10 participation at the Olympics, 14 participation to the World Championship, and not even counting the Commonwealth Games. Uh, I have the, the pleasure to receive today from BC Vancouver, Tom Johnson. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate being here. Nice I'm to very, be here. I'm very happy to have you. Uh, we tried to have to make that talk before the Olympics, but after it works as well. You know, it's a, it's a good opportunity for everyone. Sure. So Tom, my pleasure. Thank you very much again. Welcome in all the talk. Uh, it's not a full show of swimming. I do. I did uh, receive a lot of different sports, but as a swimming coach, of course, I do. I did a lot of swimming episode. You are coming back from the Olympic. I want to jump in. I want to jump in straight to that. Your iconic swimmer, Brent Eden. Did amazing there. I'm going, we're going to start with Brent because you know uh, I think I think he has uh, the 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 I would say the the guest uh, I would say the guest place or the, the the honor to to achieve those in this Olympic at the age of 37. Amazing performance. Uh, I don't think there is anyone in the world swim, who swim that fast at this at his at his age. So I want to start with 103. In a four by one, I have a question, simple question. Were you a little bit surprised about this 47 time? Well, you know, we never started out thinking he would be swimming 100 meters. We thought always that he just wanted to see how fast he could go in a 50. And he did say that, that he would be interested in helping with the relay if it worked out. But he was not sure exactly, you know, if he would be fit enough or you know, if he was too old or whatever. So when we got down to uh, March of 2020 and we went to Des Moines and he swam the 53 against Caleb Dressel and Nathan Adrian and went 21.9, the night before that, we had traveled from Vancouver and 
he said, well, like only one day before. And he said, can I swim the hundred free? But I hadn't even entered him in the hundred free. So I said, nah, well, not really, but we'll see if we can time trial. So we went and we asked for a time trial and he time trialed the day before the 50 free. I think the 50 free was on Sunday and this was on a Saturday. We traveled on the Friday. So he said, okay. And he went like 49.3 or 49.4 in the hundred. And he would have been third or fourth in the meet, right? As it was because the meet, the hundred free was on the Thursday, I think, or something. So anyway, it sort of indicated a, a very early stage in this this comeback of his basically starting in September of 2019 and getting to March of 2020. So six months in and he's going 49.4. And I think he surprised himself there, but we just kept going and training and still never changed the focus away from the 50 free. But when he swam in that take five meet in Toronto, three weeks or four weeks before the Olympic trials, and we were trying to make sure that we had a relay team that was going to qualify for uh, Tokyo. And we were 16th and there were all the swims coming from the European championships. And it was always possible that somebody, whether it would be China or Greece or some other country, would do a time trial after the deadline and knock us out. And then we wouldn't have a relay. So we put a team up in that competition. It was Brent. Um, Marcus Thormeyer, Yuri Kissel, and uh, Josh Liendo. And we actually swam. The order was Brent, Josh, Marcus, and Yuri. And they went two seconds faster than we went in Beijing or in Guangzhou. Wow. So um, I was exciting. But, and, but Brent led off in 48.5. And the day before that, he had done 100 free. And he won the 100 free from the outside lane. And 49-1. And in typical Brent Hayden fashion, whatever he goes in the first swim of a competition, generally he'll go five to six tenths faster in the second swim. So he got up and he says, I can fix this. So he realized he wasn't out very well and didn't swim into the turn very well on that race. And he went out in 22-9. And I think Josh Liendo and, and Yuri and Marcus behind the block suddenly realized, okay, game on. And they went and Brent went 48-4, right? It was faster than what he did to qualify for the semifinals at the, in uh, London. Yeah. And that was a pretty good indication. And so, you know, still we only were working towards the 100 or towards the 50 at the Olympic trials to solidify his place. And those other guys who were swimming quite well, uh, including um, Finley Knox, who had gone 49-0 or 49-1. So anyway, um, it just worked out at the Olympic trials that, you know, with the 50 free ahead of the 100 free, he's a bit too old to be able to do that and get up the next morning and still swim. And he was not feeling great the next morning. His back was a bit sore. So rather than swim the 100 in the competition, we just went, OK, we're not going to do it. And then it was a crazy 100. If you remember the final, Yuri yeah. Kissel got hurt in the warm up. Brent didn't swim, right? Suddenly the event was wide open and, and uh, you know, Josh swam really well at 48-1. It was a very good swim. Mm -hmm. Yuri, we didn't see what he could do, but he'd been faster than he'd been for five years at 48-4 and he was a couple of hundreds faster than Brent. So it mean, meant that Brent wasn't going to get the swim at the Olympics anyway. And, uh, you know, I just said to Brent when we got 
out of the Olympic trials and we're preparing for the Olympics that your 100 free is going to be the lead off on the relay. And that's really all we need you to do. And he led off and uh, I can't remember what he went in the in the prelims, but, uh, you know, in the final, he went 47.99 and everybody just went, holy mackerel, this is amazing, right? For somebody that age to do it. But I mean, he, he took very good care of himself and his body and he's still technically very, very sound. He's really, really strong. And, you know, you always think that if, what could he have done if he actually prepared for the event, right? Because it took 47-1 to win a medal. So that was a pretty tough, tough event. But, you know, he would have been probably in the final if he'd spent a bit more time on it. But we didn't, we never changed from what we were doing. We just focused on the 50 and that was his best ever finish in a 50 in, in Olympic or World Championship swimming, right? Finishing ninth in that situation. And he showed a degree of reliability, but, you know, a guy like Bruno Fratus has been under 22 over 90 times. And Brent probably has been under 22 less than 10 times. Right. Yeah. So he doesn't know that event as well as the other guys, but we'll see what happens, what he decides to do with his swimming and the go forward. But certainly he was the talk of the meet in that sense. And I think it was very gratifying for him and impressive for everybody to see somebody of that age and stature come back with that length of time, five years or seven years out of the water and then stand up and swim. That kind of performance was pretty good. Yeah. So. Don't you think that as a coach, you know, you know, you know, I love sprint as well. And, and I, I do think that most of the best swimmer in the hundred are coming from the 50 that history saying that, and uh, you building, you you building your program on working on the 50, did help him a lot to achieve 100, you know, when you have the speed, it's kind of a key. Uh, did you ever build any preparation like this with him? Even the 100 wasn't the, the, the goal. Did you ever work, focus on the 50 to move on to the 100 ever in your, in your career with him? Never. We always moved from the 200 down to the 100. And the 50 was an afterthought because when he was young, as you know, 18, 19 year old guy. He he didn't have great speed. He had 23 plus speed. He was never initial speed wasn't his forte. And so he developed that speed later in his career. By 2010, I think he went 21-7 and uh, he won the Commonwealth Games in 2010 and, and uh, in the 50. But it was never really a major focus for him. He was really more about the 100 free. And he came at it from the 200. But there was a point, you know, just with the order of events at the Olympics and the World Championships and the way that the heats and the semis and the finals play out, that it's very, and the relays, it's very challenging to be able to do the 100 and the 200 and all the relays. It just not doesn't really lend itself to that. Where back in the day when Biondi would swim the, the 200 and the 100, that was very much... A thing right spits 100 and 200 freestyle but 100 and 200 freestyle now with the way it's ordered and the relays and the four by one four by two it's almost impossible right and then when you're sitting there at the end of six swims plus relay swims right which is potentially up to eight to ten swims and then you start the 50 free if you know those guys the big guys are just sitting there waiting 
and they pick him off. And so he would be really hard pressed to make a final or make a semifinal. He might make the semifinal, but he had nothing left. And then at night they'd all lift and blow him out of the water and he'd sit back and go home and cry in his soup, you know? So it's like, That was the end of that. Right? So. Kind of hard for him. You talk a little bit about his future and and what's co what could come for him. Like uh, he's he's for it's thirty seven, might be forty one or forty in two thousand twenty four. I know uh, that he might really want to keep going on. By the way, cheers to you. <laughs> I don't have yeah. anyone here, but uh, it's late night in in Montreal. But you know, yeah. So yeah, yeah. it was a good time. Uh, yeah. he, he, he talked a little bit about probably moving on to 2024, swimming the 50. Uh, he, he took very good care of himself. You know, like you said, his, his shape was incredible. Uh, I, I saw some kind of improvement in his start at his age, which is, yeah. which is crazy. Uh, he, gained, yeah. he gained a lot of power. Uh, uh, what do you think? He could go in three years. Is he, is he way he could still improve? Is I think he can still still improve because he's a racer and he didn't race. You know, every time we swam, except when we got to the Olympic trials and the Olympic Games, uh, he swam against himself. There was nobody who could go in practice, you know, or one or two days notice okay, Brent, you come to the pool, put on a suit. We're doing a dive 50 in training and would go 22 flat. You know, there was nobody like that, right, the, in, in my training group. And there's very few people in the world. And we were watching what people around the world were doing in the various competitions and seeing that, you know, guys like Manadu and different people would go 22-2 and Brent would be 22-1 and 22-1-9 or 22-0-9 or whatever. So he was very competitive in that situation, right? But I think the fine little points of being in hard, hard racing in that event was missing, right? In his race in, in uh, Tokyo, he didn't have that this time, right? So, yeah. so that's where I think he can improve if he, if he sticks around and, he, and, you know, he has to be able to afford to do it. And, uh, you know, he made a big difference with the relay team and with those guys and mentoring them and, and giving them an imagination around what was possible. And, and he said to them after the take five meet, like, you know, he remembered the South Africans in Athens. Yeah. Nobody expected them to be competitive and they ended up winning the relay. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think nobody expected us to be able to take, you know, that relay and be in a bronze medal position 15 meters from the end of the race. Right. And so I think that's exciting. I think there's new guys on the horizon in Canadian swimming that, you know, in three or four years can, can maybe either fill his shoes or complement what he's doing, but you need, you need six or eight guys. You're not going to do it with four people and still yeah. build that men's team out so that they're able to swim the hundreds and the two hundreds and the four by two hundred and the four by one hundred and cross all of these events, right. That are out there and be comparable to what the women are doing. Right. And even with the best women that we have, we had, you know, uh, Kylie mass second. Uh, we didn't have anybody really competitive in the hundred breaststroke. We filled in with Sydney Pickram, but then we had Maggie gold medal winner in the hundred fly. 
and Penny fourth in the hundred free on about her seventh or eighth swim in the meet, right? And we got bronze, right? So that's the level that you need to be able to swim at if you're going to compete across the board in all of the events that, you know, for men's swimming, right? So that kind of level, right? So, so you so you are basically saying that if there is two more guys coming in, helping helping the team out, there is a little chance to see him on that relay in three years? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Brent is looking at it and saying, well, it's only two years and 11 months to the next Olympics. And I've already gone through the, the hardest year, which is the year after the Olympics, because it was the Olympic year times two. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. already done that year. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. He's going to do the ISL in, uh, in Napoli. Naples. Yeah, yeah, Napoli starting in uh, August 23rd. He texted me today, said, when should I get back in the water? What should I be doing? So we'll see. Right. So nice. So that brings me to, to another topic. And, you know, I observe a lot. I used to, I like, I love to watch coaches uh, and swimmer relationship and you guys bonding. And I felt like in trials for the first time that I saw you guys, I would say sharing to everyone publicly that bound. I felt that bound yeah. very strongly after the, the 53. Uh, and I'm sure you, that's your swimmer. You, you coach him for how many years? Well, since, um, a long time. <laughs> <laughs> since 2004, 2001, maybe. So, so Fukuoka a year or after? 20 yeah. years, right? So, yeah. Wow, 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 yeah. wow, wow. So to me, to me, witnessing witnessing that moment of emotion was beautiful. I mean, coaches, we busting out the, our ass a lot. Like, we just, the work we do is different, like, in that you compare with a lot of sports, a lot of time on the pool deck, a lot of time coaching. Sometimes it's uh, uh, a lot of early time, you know? Yeah, and, and that's a lot of sacrifice in our life. And see, have the chance that you had to develop your athletes and and have that long race, that long momentum, keep going on year after year after year after year. Even if you quit for, uh, even if you quit for a few years, was beautiful. Was beautiful to watch. How special for you was that moment? Um, I think often we take those things for granted, you know, and uh, for me, for Brent to, to sort of realize that the goal um, that he was trying to get to, uh, he's a pretty sensitive guy and he's, he's not shy about showing his emotion. And I think that for me, it was a moment where I realized that, you know, these moments may not come out again. And so when he, in 2012 when he won that medal at the olympics which was a culmination of 11 years of work right that that um and he'd won every single event that there is to win except an olympic medal uh up until that point in time right but he never told me that he was going to retire and so we went to this celebration with the canadian olympic committee at trafalgar square the day after the olympic swimming finished and he stood on the podium with Marcel Abu and these guys and said, basically, I retire. And then he went and got married. And I basically 
never really had time to talk to him after the fact other than just in passing and everything and then when he decided to come back like that it was seamless and he came back into the mix and and the relationship and the things that we went through together you know seven or eight years ago and and be in the previous 10 year period of time uh never went away and so but i think there was a greater appreciation by both of us really on how special that was and then to see him actually you know there's a lot of guys who come back and say i'm going to do a comeback and see if i can do it and all that sort of stuff but they never really realize the goal right i mean phelps is a pretty special example but um, other people that we've seen from time to time try and come back and never really get there and for him to come all the way back and actually get there was pretty cool and so i felt some pretty strong emotion at that point in time and appreciated everything that he had done and i and he had appreciated everything that i had done in order to get there right so it was good it was beautiful cool. to watch because you are not uh, the most expressive expressive uh, coach on the deck showing a lot about your emotion and uh, watching that was beautiful seriously i was i felt truly really happy for you and i think that that's the blessing of that job you know and I learned, I'm trying to learn the best way to enjoy and to not miss those moments, you know, and it's very, yeah. very the, the human connection is, is the strongest uh, tool we can use to perform, I think. I think you're right. I think it's all about that relationship. And if you get that relationship, even though you, as you say, it may not necessarily be that readily visible, you know, but I do have pretty strong connection with the swimmers that I've had over time mm -hmm. who have been the best performers. And I think it's a fundamental aspect or component of high level success is this relationship that you have with your athletes that transcends not just giving them a practice and, and taking them through practice, but actually knowing them as people and, and respecting them and treating them with, with the kind of dignity that they need in order to be the best version of themselves every day. You know, and that's not easy to do under the pressure of not only their own pressure, but everybody else's expectations and, and pressures, you know, family, sport organizations, coaches, you know, you name it. Right. Like there's a lot going on out there. And so to, to uh, they need a safe place right, to be able to go to and know that they're that there's somebody there going to be on their side no matter what. Right. And I think that that's what I try and do. Right, in terms so, of providing that. So, Tom, we are talking about 2024 with Brent Eden. And if Brent Eden is decide, deciding to go to 2024, where is this coach is going to go? <laughs> well, my role at, at the National Center is finished as of uh, August 31st. I'm no longer that involved with them. I am... Uh, exploring some options and we'll see where that goes i haven't really had that conversation with brent right but i'm gonna he's gonna be in naples or napoli with me during the uh, isl i'm gonna work with toronto's team and he's on that team and we'll talk it through and see where we go right and but you know there's there's a million different options but you know at the same time the other option is just to retire and uh let someone else do it you know so we'll see I felt like you you have been the head coach of uh, the High Performance Center in, in UBC forever. 
And uh, yeah. not seeing you, uh, not seeing you there in September is going to feel kind of weird. Uh, what, what's your feeling about that? Well, it's not really my choice, right? But it's it's uh, not in my control. And, but at the same time, I just turned 70 years old, like three days ago, and so you know, to maybe look at other options and doing other things with my life as it trans as it plays out over the next period of time is something that's pretty exciting to not have to write workouts or be somewhere sometime every day, you know, to carry, to stay competitive and to stay relevant. And, you know, there's a lot of people who uh, have been coaching for a long time, but aren't necessarily relevant all the way through. Right. And I feel good about the fact that, I've been able to stay relatively competitive with my swimmers all the way through to the end, right? On my the Olympics this time weren't what I was hoping that they would be or thinking that they could be, but the pandemic and everything that went down you know affected different people and different programs in different ways and we had a lot of challenges with with uh, what was going on and some changes that didn't necessarily lend themselves towards Uh, you know, us being at our best, right, with the pool closures and different things like that. So we did the best we could, and I'm pretty proud of what the kids did, and they stayed together as a group, and they supported each other, and they stuck with me. But, you know, if truth be known, I thought we could be, I thought we were better, and I thought we could have been better and should have been better in the meet. But, you know, as well as I do, what you think and what actually happens are two different things sometimes. And so... Sometimes that's the way it goes, right? So, but I did feel good about these Olympics in terms of what Brent achieved and what Marcus achieved with his performances and reliability. Marcus had never swum an individual event at the Olympic Games. He only swam the relay in 2016. Yeah. So he swam a bunch of individual swims. He wasn't as good as I thought he could be. It was interesting, the, you know, his commentary to me around, uh, he just didn't feel great after he got his vaccination, he never felt good again. Like he just felt tired and different, you know, I don't know if that's got any bearing on it at all, but it's just like, we don't know very much about how that affects different people in different ways, you know? And, and he just, he didn't have the same sort of spark that he had prior to. Right. So anyway, we'll, we'll find out, but it's not my problem anymore. <laughs> it's someone else's problem. Right? So, So moving on to the next question about the Olympics, you went to 10 Olympics, the Canadian team, and I don't think looking at my, looking at the results, you ever witnessed so many good swims from the team. Yeah. How special that was for you? We knew we were swimming really well in the training camp and, uh, and what was, what we were seeing every day. Right. And uh, the Toronto group was very good. And the rest of the group was also very good. But uh, certainly uh, the question was, are we going to be able to take what we're being doing in training and actually show up at the meet and do the kind of swims that you need to do in Olympic Games? Yeah. And the interesting thing was this, that it didn't seem to get in the way. Right. Like for whatever reason, um, the coaches were really together on what they were doing. 
and uh, the swimmers were really good. And I think we did the best we could with what we had. And uh, you always feel we had four fourth place finishes in addition to the six medals that we had. And we had lots of finals and, and semifinals and best times. And that's really all you can hope for in the Olympic Games, right? Because the Olympic Games make you crazy, right? It's just like many, many, many swimmers go there and stumble, right? When they get to that pressure packed situation and to be able to deliver under pressure was really a great thing to see. And, and the good thing about it was there was a reliability because that was where we were in 2016. Yeah. And we repeated that in Guangzhou in 2019. And then we repeated it again in 2021. And so I think that there's a confidence there that's building in, in terms of a competency around what we need to do and how to do it. And I think it's up to the next generation, you know, of swimmers and coaches to carry that point forward, right? And so it'll be fun to see what we can do. So looking at this next generation, you know, I, I, I'm still have, I still have a lot of conversation with some of my friend, coaches, friends in Europe, in France, in England, in Norway, and, and most of them ask me, wow, Canadian swimming is huge now. It's so strong. They're watching from, from outside and they're very, very impressed about what we are achieving here. But there are always the same question coming and a new question used to come now in, since, since like uh, six months. <laughs> so to, the first question was that is like, how, why are the boys not there? And the second question coming more and more is, who is that Summer Macintosh? What is she doing? What the hell is she coming from? So yeah. I like to know your, your thought on the first question and the second as well, if you can compress them at the same time. But if you want me, I can repeat it after. No problem. Sure. I think uh, we see women come to the forefront much quicker in the developmental process than we do with the men, right? If you really think about it, Taylor Ruck, nobody knew who she was and she suddenly went from being basically somewhat obscure to being a 154 and a 51 second, you know, in 95, 96, 97, sorry, oh, when was it? Oh, five, oh, six, oh, seven. Yeah, yeah. I'm even dating myself. 15, 16, 17, whatever. In that time frame, right? Like where she went to the World Juniors. She she won the World Juniors in 53. The next year, she's 52. The next year, she's 51 on the relay. And she swam, you know, really good backstroke and really good freestyle. And, and uh, those kinds of kids come up. And then the question is, can we... Can they maintain that, right? We saw that with Sarah Sordstrom in 2009, win the world championship in 100 Butterfly, and then, you know, go all the way through, look like she was going to win the Olympics in 2012 and didn't get a medal and have to come back around. And by 2016, she was a force and she won that gold medal in the 100 Fly. And then since then, she's been one of the world's best swimmers, barring this injury that she had, right? And similarly, you have people like Emma McKeon, who you know, showed really well early uh, in her career and then sort of was always in there, but never really succeeding the way she succeeded in these Olympics. And so I think there's two phases. One is the identification phase and the actual bringing them up to that standard. And then the second part of that is managing them at that point once they're at that level and being able to keep that going. And that's not easy. And even Penny, when you think about Penny and winning the Olympics at 16, she really wasn't that outstanding for 
the next five years or four years. And then when she went 52-8 in the trials, the lights seemed to go on. And there's a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure she did a lot of work in between, but it wasn't coming together for her. And then suddenly it's coming back together and she's competitive in a very, very big way at the Olympic Games and made a huge impact on the Canadian team. So I think that that aspect, when I'm thinking about the men, it's similar, right? Like when you think about Brent Hayden taking three Olympics to get to a, a gold medal right? or get to a, a bronze medal in the Olympic Games, there was a lot of really great results in between those things, but he, he stumbled every time he got to the Olympic Games. He wasn't very good. And they need to get experienced and blooded in that arena in a, in a big way. And I think some of the things that we're doing with the men where you see Finley Knox and you see Cole Pratt and you see, you know, Josh Liendo and these young guys coming through their trip. And Marcus Thormeyer was the first one of those guys who came through and he's a little bit older than those guys at this point by a year or two, but you'll see that start to develop with uh, the men's program over the next four to six years, I think. And, and the big challenge, Greg, is can you get the men and the women swimming at that level at the same time, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, you know, we've had it, you know, at UBC for a long time where we had both men and women's sides of the program swimming very well at the intercollegiate level. But it wasn't always like that. It was either really good men and not so good women or really good women and not so good men. And I think part of it is, is that you have to treat the men a little bit differently. Right. And when we were really successful in the 70s and we had strength in the men's and the women's program in Montreal and in, in uh, the Montreal Olympics, our women's program was way better than the men's program. But by 1978, 1980, with Graham Smith and Peter Schmidt and Bill Sawchuk and those guys, you know, they led the way for Victor Davis and Alex Bowman and like that. Right. And so it's it's about just a matter of time but it needs a steady hand and it needs constant sort of uh programming at that level and we can't give up on those guys too soon because it takes time it does take time i think they are kind of chasing the the, the woman now they are kind of the feel yeah. the, the, the feel the the the, the urge of probably uh, produce a little bit more and if they are doing it why not us you know so i feel like uh, they believe yeah, in, yeah. they believe in them a little bit more than they used to but yeah. for me uh, i think that as you said you, we have to treat them differently and i think for a too long time the boys en français on dit uh, where the les faire valoir des filles the the, the boys were training what well, a good sparring partner for the girl. Yeah. And, and most of the time. And and just a few programs are offering specific programs for the boys or for the girls. And I think that that change now is going to bring them and help the boys to catch up a little bit. Because it takes longer for a boy. At 16 years old for a man, is are not mature like a 16 years old girl normally. You know, it takes... Right. It takes and, you know, you'll see the girls at 15, 16, 17, 18 look great. Yeah. And then sometimes between 19 and 21, 22, 23, not so great. And then they come back like Katrin Savard and, yeah. you know, some of these people. This is this is what happens. Right. And and I think the the uh, identification process needs to consider all of those things. Right. Not only their physiological maturity, but their psychological maturity, their 
their swimming age, right? How long have they been training hard, you know, and like, like that as a way of differentiating, not just only on time, right? It needs to be on, you know, their physical stature and things like that, right? Because, you know, Yuri Kissel was like a stick, right? When he came to me and, and going 50.8. And three years later, he's 48-2. And five years later, he's 48-1, right? But that 48-1 took a lot of work to get that next step. And once you get that event going again, who knows what can happen? But there's psychological and, and physiological and social maturity that needs to come into to play. And I think the guys and the girls are different, and yet they're, they're similar. And so I think there's a way to do them, bring them together, but also separate them and go back and forth with that. And that will, I think, result in better performances by both sides. Yeah. Right. So my second question was Summer McIntosh. Summer McIntosh. Summer McIntosh then I, that I observed a lot during trials. I felt a lot of determination in her stroke, determination in her body language. Uh, she doesn't feel scared, I feel. She's a pretty hard racer i don't know her like you do what's your take on her ah she's a great swimmer just a sec i don't want to wake up the little kids she's a great swimmer i don't know her very well to be honest greg but she has a determination and a maturity that's beyond her years in terms of being able to uh understand what needs to be done in order to be competitive and she's not afraid of anything right she's only 14 she's she's got no limits in terms of any sort of preconceived ideas of what she should or shouldn't be doing she she just thinks that she needs to race and get up and compete and kevin thorburn did a great job with her in developing those qualities in her as an athlete at a very young age and then Unfortunately, he passed, but at the same time, she made that transition over to Ben's program, and Ben did a great job with her. So, you know, we'll, we're pretty excited to see what she can do in the future, for sure. It was, it was amazing, amazing. So that's, that's, the end of that talk is bringing me to the next question. What are you thought about the, art, the architect Ben Titley? Oh, he did a great job, and he, he had a lot of help from Ryan Millett and from the people around him, but he was very clear on what he wanted and what he needed. And uh, he can, like you, we talked about this relationship that with the swimmers being key to this success, and I think he has a really good relationship with the swimmers, and uh, he means business, and they know he means business, and uh, um, he's just at a good place in his life and in his career and and uh the results show right so good 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 so looking at this olympics and i'm going to get out of the canadian team a little bit and and we i looked at i would say the rise of the australian swimming team which yeah. which we wait for a while through emma mckeon and other swimmer and the downfall a little bit of the usa team Um, I don't think they have, they did have the success and they expect to, they expected to have the U.S. Olympic team. What are your thoughts about this rise and this downfall? I think the U.S. Um, 
is always a very, very strong team and very dangerous. But they, uh, they also, you know, are still, I think, a bit naive around what exactly is going on in the rest of the world. They still have this idea that they're going to go in and dominate every event. And the swimming compression of the field and the sport of swimming is so great that the people are coming from everywhere. It's like that guy winning the 400 free from lane eight, right? From Tunisia. I asked, I asked Malui, who's Malui? I said, who is that guy? He says, I don't know. He doesn't even know, right? So he's just people coming from all different parts of the world, like the breaststroker from South Africa, the 219 uh, Tatiana Schonemecker, right? Like just... Yeah. Fantastic swimming. And so there's good coaching and good programming and good athletes in every part of the world. And I think that one of the goals of FINA and people have criticized FINA for a lot of things, but one of the things they tried to do was to make the sport more of a world sport and not more global. And I think they're, they can be proud of what they've done because it has in fact turned into a global sport, much like track and field where you see people dominating, you know, are sort of winning from all different places around the world. The, the reality with the U.S. is that, that uh, other countries are trying harder, right? And I think that there's, um, you know, there's going to be phases and periods of time in any country's uh, program where they're going to have weaknesses that will need to be addressed. And so, you know, in spite of them having no medalist since 1984 in the 1500 free uh in men's swimming and coming out and winning medals and winning the 800 and like doing what they did you're just going like this is amazing right that that you know from obscurity basically whatever 16 21 like 37 years like they hadn't been able to get to the top of the podium and they did it again right and so I think where you see some things get better and other things get worse and there's a changing of the guard and you've got, you know, Lucas Orlando and, you know, the Foster boys and those guys in the United States who didn't get through this time, but should be factors next time. Right. And so I think the, the year was a really strange year with the extension of the Olympic cycle, five year Olympic cycle. And, and some people held on, some people didn't, some people got better, some people got worse. You know, Reagan Smith, for instance, was everybody thought she was going to walk away with the backstrokes. And then a Kylie Mass and Emma McEwen, or not McEwen, or Kylie McCowan from, you know, Australia wins both backstrokes. And you go like, wow, that's amazing. Right. And, and uh, it just shows you what happens at the Olympic Games. But I do think that, that there is still this, you know, the United States thinks that they're going to win everything every time. And, you know, it's the World Series of Baseball and world's you know the super bowl is the world championship and everything and quite frankly there's others other people trying just as hard right so i think that's that's a reality that they're going to have to face and on the other end of the spectrum i think the australians got um a lot of help from Jakob verhaven and what he did with that program in terms of bringing you know a different kind of philosophy and mindset to the program than where they were with the previous generation of coaches and not necessarily better, but 
different, right? And it was more in tune with what kids today are looking for. And I think by he empowered the coaches, he empowered the athletes. And I think, you know, that quiet confidence and, and uh, you know, notwithstanding Dean Boxall, but like that, that sort of approach, right, resulted in a calmness in the team that we haven't seen before. And they were just purposeful and, and motivated and uh, they were on, they were swimming well and they were coming from all kinds of different places to get to where they got to, right? So. They were very, very, very impressive, uh, the, the, the Australian swimming. Talking about uh, Dean Boxel and, and Jaco Verhoeven, I, I, I'm thinking about another coach and I, that I think he could, he should deserve a medal as well. I'm talking about Michael Ball. Oh, yeah. What? Because yeah. uh, this guy always produced amazing swimmers, from Stephanie yeah. Rice to now uh, Emma McKeon was yeah. swimming. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I'm sure he doesn't do the same work than he used to. He evolved pretty well as well. What are you so on, on? Do you know him very well, Michael Ball? I know him well. Yeah, I think um, just what I said. He's very responsive to the athlete and and uh, can read the athlete really well. And uh, he's firm, but he's he's also uh, able to develop a relationship with the athlete where they're prepared to do what what he's asking them to do. And, you know, there's always pushback, you know, at certain periods of time in any season when the work gets hard or it feels too, you know, challenging or whatever, but somehow, like you say, he seems to be able to get the, the best out of his swimmers on a consistent basis. And he doesn't, he, you know, if something doesn't go well, he doesn't panic. He keeps his head and just keeps working through it and works all the way through and gets to at the end of the day, some great results over the course of a whole competition, not just one day or two days of the meet. You know, so. so in all those years of swimming, going through the pandemic the way it was, I, I did like the pandemic aspect because to me, what we do is an artistic job. That's the way I see it. And we are creating every day. We are lucky enough to try to bring the, bring the right stimulus to the athletes. And I think the creation, the creativity we can bring in the practice helps a lot. And I'd like to know what are you, what your thoughts are on the pandemic aspect, because moving on the date of the trials from one month to another week to two weeks to three weeks, I had to force the coaches to adapt and get out of the comfort zone. I don't think you've ever been there as a coach because the situation was the first time. How do you think this, uh, con those conditions made you coach better? Well, I agree with you. I think that, you know, we changed the trials date four times, right? And you can only, and whenever, it was always usually around 28, 21 to 28 days prior to the meet and and uh you're at a very very interesting phase of your program where you're coming out of the work into this final stage of preparation and and your intensification is going up and then you're suddenly having to shift gears and go back to training again and back to work and so you know you had to become very very careful i suppose in what you were doing and making sure that that uh on one hand you weren't coming up and being 
short on rest, but on the other hand, making sure that you were doing enough work. And so it was very, very challenging and different for every kid and, and extremely, you know, I think fatiguing mentally to be able to keep doing that, right? Just on the part of, for the athletes, but also for the coaches and everybody else where you're getting up and then back down and then up and then back down again. And the complication for us was that we were out of our home environment for 35 days before the Olympic trials. Right? Yeah. So we never, we weren't in our own home situation where even though things were changing, you could still go home and be in something that you knew here, things were changing and you were living in a hotel with a paper bag for breakfast, paper bag for lunch, paper bag for dinner, then in a residence that hadn't been lived in for six months and had all kinds of, challenges there and then back into a hotel again right and it's just like it was like being in uh in quarantine right literally for 35 days and so yeah. that was uh made us have to be and, and be sure to bring our best version of ourselves to the pool every day and everybody kept the brave face and did the best they could and i think you know we did what we did but I don't think we did what we, that the results reflected the work that we had done, to yeah. be honest with you, right? So. Yeah. Don't you think that, don't you say, don't you think that as coaches, sometimes we underestimate a little bit the level of adaptation, the capacity of the athlete to adapt to whatever condition? Because yeah. sometimes we are more, we have all those process in mind, those paradigms that we have in mind that we have to race there and do this and do that and whatever. And, in a year where you don't have all those stuff, you see all the result, and finally it's wow, it's amazing, fast. There is a lot of as fast as it was probably for, even faster in some event that was four years or five years ago. And to me, the, the the conclusion of this was, you know, the the lack of for us coach coaches not being able to trust enough the the athletes to adapt themselves in whatever condition there is. And with the pandemic coming in, that's, I think, the big lesson of, of you know, of this period. You know, in Camo, we organize a lot of different uh, swim race, long course, short course, but the swimmer knew that's what they're gonna have, and that's it, you know? And they yeah. show up ready, show up ready to race, even stressed out like it was in the big meet because they knew that's the only way to get ready. So they're not going yeah. to, a few of them didn't swim like we expect them to swim in, in those meet. But I would say most of them were focused and ready to go fast and get ready for the next level. So don't you yeah. see on that aspect, we are wrong sometimes coaches. Yeah, I think so. I think that, 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 uh, the competitive nature of the athlete is such that they're going to find a way if, if they have their heads straight, they're going to get up and, and give us their best effort no matter what. Right. Yeah. And I think our kids did a great job of that. Right. And just trying to be ready in any kind of circumstance at any point in time. Right. So, yeah, we, we, uh, we learned a lot from this whole thing, right. In terms of, you know, not having so many competitions that maybe you felt like you needed to go to resulted in a deeper level of training and adaptation that maybe didn't exist when you're going out of the work so frequently, you know, and 
thinking that you need to travel and run around and do all the stuff that we were doing that maybe it isn't so necessary, you know, certainly in the short term, or maybe how we do it in terms of blocks of training and then blocks of competition and that kind of thing, as opposed to, you know, three weeks training, a meet, three weeks training, a meet like that, maybe more like the Mari Nostrum type of idea or, you know, the idea of doing that in Quebec and doing, you know, three competitions in Point Claire, Camo and downtown Montreal or Quebec City or something and doing a circuit like that. I think this is something you've talked about before, right? And those kinds yeah. of ideas. Those are ideas that that uh, can work and, and will work in the future, I think. So the pandemic made us better. The pandemic taught us how to be a better coach. I think so. I think so. <laughs> it got us out of our comfort zone. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are going to the end, and I have—I would say two, but usually when I say two, I have three or four more questions. But okay, stick, I'm going to try to stick to that. You know, uh, I usually ask the same question at the end of the, at the end of the show, but I'm going to reserve that question for me. You know, uh, and uh, I'm going to ask you. You know, I'm, I've been given the head coach position in Camo, and uh, I'm pretty proud and pretty happy to go to that challenge. Yeah. And I'd like to ask you honestly, honestly, what would be, because you know me a little bit since a while, so I'd like to, to ask you honestly, uh, what would be your advice for me? I think keep doing what you're doing, because I think you're growing as a coach and as a person and understanding the athletes better and, and uh, realizing that it's, it's not about you, it's about them, right? And you, your job is to just be there and, and as best possible, get them as ready as they can, but then get out of the way. Right. And I yeah. saw that in, in the trials, I felt like that was one of the best meets that you guys have had in a long time in the sense that kids were engaged, they were purposeful and, and they were having fun doing what they were doing. And they were, they looked good. I think the guy who ran your dryland program did a really good job with those girls and, and, uh, They carried that on through the Olympic Games and they were they were a factor in the meet and in the team. And I think that just if you can capture that sort of feeling and that sort of tone in your program more often than not, then you're going to be very successful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you very much. You know, uh, uh, my last question would be if you have to give any advice about to all the coaches who want to look at the show and listen to it on whatever platform, what would be the best advice from your experience as a coach that, could, that you could give to a lot of coaches who, are, who have that desire, that will to achieve something close to what you did? I think you have to show up every day, right? You have to not take anything or not assume anything, you know, that you have to basically start from zero every season, every year, and and understand that uh, what happened last year doesn't mean that that's going to happen this year necessarily. And you have to coach what's in front of you and really enjoy that process all the time because sometimes you have great swimmers in front of you and sometimes They're just developing swimmers and you, it's your job is to make them great. And so there's two sides to that. One, don't mess it up. And two, bust your butt to try to help these kids achieve what they're trying to achieve. 
but you know if, if it's only about you and you're living your your uh, aspirations and goals through the the swimmers never usually works out that well right you just have to try to help them do what they're trying to do within the context of your philosophy and your value system and your belief system so that you're happy with what you're doing right but but always always respect the swimmers and respect the parents and understand that that it's a privilege to do what we do thank you yes yes it is and it's a privilege to do as well what they are doing you know you know something yeah. you have to remind yeah. them that uh, every year i start almost with the same speech to the younger the younger one that i had before telling them that they have to tap a little bit on the back by upset because there is not many guys doing what they are doing and that's yeah, yeah. guys as well you know and uh, make them feel special because this is special what they are doing there's not many swimmers or athletes in the world doing what those kids and, and adult swimmers are doing in the world no they're the one percent of the one percent yeah yeah one percent one percent i like that i like that thank you very much tom it was a okay. pleasure to have you uh, uh I, I i really really enjoyed that uh, that hour that we spent i hope that many many people are going to watch it don't miss this episode on youtube on spotify on the uh, on the plat on the older platform where you can catch a podcast uh this will be available pretty soon thank you very much tom and you're welcome wishing you all the best enjoy napoli i'm sure you will enjoy the wine and the great food there and you will have uh, some good time with your swimmer britain and try to figure out all the challenge coming up coming up towards you so one more time thank you i feel very honored to uh, to uh, being able to spend a little bit of time with you so merci beaucoup tom and this was episode 54 have a good night everyone and bye -bye. thank you bye. Salut. Salut. <laughs>